this week on Cinematic Pig Feet. Good evening, everyone. This is John Robinson along with Level One Seductress and my favorite person from the Outlands, Catalan Justice. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Level One, huh? Uh, I, I'm not sure how the scale was gone. I don't know either. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. We watched Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard. Now, the name Jean-Luc Godard is well known among cinema people. He's often counted as a genius. People love his stuff. I've never seen a Jean-Luc Godard film, I believe, until now. And, well, I'm a guy who's 39 years old. I've seen movies. I've read movie theory and criticism. I'm a fairly intelligent guy. I'm not someone who just hasn't seen things. I've, I've seen things, experienced things. I have a mind and I don't like the guy. I don't like him professionally, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like him personally. Thank you! What? I was excited. I was like, ooh, you know, like, I, I haven't seen one. I was excited to see this movie. And I hated it. So, this will probably be the last Jean-Luc Godard, because I feel like I gave him a fair shake. It took me three shots to make it through this movie. I almost fell asleep in the middle of it. Right? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. It's like the Emperor's got no clothes or something. <laughs> well, he all he has is either some sort of weird um, smock that buttons up all the way or a cheesy <laughs> uh, beltless overcoat. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. What, what the crap was this movie? It made me mad, and it's not like normal movies that make me mad where I'm like morally offended at some point or whatever. This made me mad because the emperor had no clothes. He was naked. And I, I don't know why all the high praise for this film, it made less than no sense. Although <clears throat> to give credit where credit is due. One reason to see this movie, the worst fight scene ever. Stylized. I think the word we're looking for here is stylized. Oh my gosh, it was the worst fight scene I have ever seen in my life. That was amazing. So that was like that was like 0.65 of a second worth of Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> um another reason, uh worst chase scene ever. Is this where you, the uh cars were reverse direction on it? Yes, what the crap? <laughs> but Honestly, like, that's the only... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Um, best executions yes. I've seen in a long time. I'm not going to say best executions ever. I've seen better executions. But these executions were pretty... After, after several many minutes of going, what the crap is going on? What I think was happening is the offenders were put on a diving board. I think they were all shot with, like, um, execution-style, you know, line of shooters. Mm -hmm. Then they fell in the water, and then they were swarmed by synchronized swimmers that were daggering them to death. Is that what was going on? Yes, that's what was going on. Okay, so that, I don't know whether to put that in the pro or the con column of the film, but that's all I got for the pros. It, it was a pro. I mean, 
you can count on a dystopian science fiction tale to reliably give you spectacular executions. That's pretty much what they're there for. You've got your Hunger Games. You've got your rats in a cage attached to a guy's face. You've right. got uh, the synchronized uh, swimmers with daggers. Yes. That's what you get. So that's that's the one thing you have to have, really, in a dystopian oh, science fiction tale. This film made me so miss. So those were the pros to watch this movie, those three things. The rest of it, it was like, it was diabolical. It was like putting a laugh track on a movie that had no jokes in it. <laughs> it. That was evil. It kept having these, like, you know, blinking lights to signify something dramatic was happening and all this dramatic sting music, but nothing freaking happened. Ah! I, I, I can think of a few more uh, pros, if I could. Uh, oh, yes, please. please okay. Please. The audacity of using that small a budget and that few special effects, as in no special effects, to do a uh, science fiction film, you have to. I have to admire that. Okay, that's respectable. What was? You don't happen to know the budget, right? No, but it was like a small budget. The man I... made more than one film a year. <laughs> They're just so he, he was just making films. <laughs> well, fact, I respect people on shoestring budgets that make it happen. Damn it! That's uh, he and the character of Lemmy Caution. Whose name was Lemmy. Go ahead. Well, yes, let me caution. Um, <laughs> he, uh, that's a famous character in Europe. It's basically it? a, a sort of a low-rent Philip Marlowe. Oh. That actor, Constantine, he was famous for doing Lemmy Caution. He did a whole bunch of different films um, of Lemmy Caution films. Really? The thing is, when he did them, they were all played uh, straight, and they were all present day. This was basically uh, like like Philip Marlowe or Sam Spade or, I don't know, uh, Dirty Harry. <laughs> this is like Dirty Harry. And then Jean-Luc Vuillard gets the equivalent of uh, Clint Eastwood to say, hey, why don't you appear in this wacky, low-budget sci-fi movie where you're still playing Harry Callahan, but now you're in this dystopia? That's pretty much what happened. I had no idea. That's kind of crazy. And in fact, it evidently ruined the guy from playing Lemmy Caution in later films. No one would hire him to play that character anymore because of what he did in this film. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, that that was a that was career suicide right there. Mm. Evidently, no. Evidently, working for Jean-Luc Godard means good things for some people. I don't know why, but this is evidently what happens. <laughs> it was, was he famous for having a face like scrambled eggs? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was, way, but yes. <laughs> I was mildly excited to see like a Constantine thing because I've been in film classes before, mm -hmm. and his name kind of floated about, but so have like the names of a lot of famous things that I haven't actually seen. And then I saw him. It's like, wait, really? This guy? <laughs> it's fun. It's certainly a striking face. <laughs> yes. Yes, a striking fit. Oh my gosh. It was. I wish this movie would be just so vastly improved by Mr. Science 3000 treatment. <laughs> just vastly, because I could, I could jump in on that. Um, but to take it seriously was kind of like this guy looking like scrambled eggs, and there's all these hot mamas coming on to him, even though it's their job. And he's all like, no, baby, I'm a hard-boiled detective. 
<laughs> like, oh man, it's just so many cliches in a futuristic dystopian um, thing. I don't know. The thing is, I don't think this movie was a failure. I just don't agree <laughs> with what it was trying to do. Okay. This is, I would say almost, this is a reactionary film. This is a film for, about a guy who grew up with a certain idea of what the future was going to be. Then he saw how the future was actually going to be, and he railed against it. This is a Where's My Flying Car movie. That's what this is. Oh. <laughs> okay. He, what he's, he's decrying, uh, like, Alpha 60. Alpha 60 is a supercomputer that runs Alphaville, where all this takes place. Alpha 60 is supposed to be IBM. It's supposed to be the idea that we're all turning all our lives over to computers and imagination, individuality, and all that is going to be erased by the cold, heartless, logical computers. And that's what happens in the movie. The computer's logic uh, rules everything, and people who act illogically are killed. But the problem is Jean-Luc never really interrogates what he um, is presenting as individu individuality or what he's presenting as illogic. It's basically, the world isn't um, catering, I mean, and this is a constant refrain among so many movies and media, the world isn't catering to uh, old uh, guys anymore, therefore it's all gone to hell. <laughs> yeah, and another thing that, I mean, it's, it's like a very, very small thing, but he kept breaking his own rules in this movie. Mm -hmm. Whoever made up the rules of this movie kept breaking them all the time. All the time, there were, like, seductress levels, whatever the hell, and they asked why. And then you find out nobody asked why. It's like, wait a minute, no, no, they... And then, like, it's like, okay, well, Catelyn suspends, you know, disbelief for a second, try to pay attention. And then ten minutes later, some other normal person would ask why. Like, damn it, you're breaking your own rules. Yes, there's a difference between suspending disbelief and, dis and suspending continuity. Right, that's what happened here. This This whole movie, it didn't... I couldn't figure out what it was trying to say, but I don't think it had a clear idea either. Well, evidently, large portions of this, and this, evidently, and this is evidently a hallmark of Jean-Luc Godard, large portions of it were improvised. <laughs> so that really? explain why um, uh, there were these inconsistencies and uh, just general off-putting weirdness is because we're just re <laughs> they were living in the moment as the film um, so often informs us we all have to do. And that means that they didn't check for continuity all that often, I'm guessing. That is hilarious. They were, like, the actors were genuinely living in the moment when it was all about how the present and the past didn't crap. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That, I, um, there was a lot of the French brand of weirdness in the film mm. where they keep going on and on about, like, vague philosophical riddles and, you know, love and poetry, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> What had anything to do with anything? What did that have to do with the price of scrambled egg-faced <laughs> detectives and secret agents? What the crap, guys? <laughs> Somebody owes me an explanation. It's, well, it's the common refrain that our present world is cold and heartless, and only the power of poetry uh, can stand against it. Thus, they'd use poetry. A lot of uh, a lot of poetry poetry i mean it wasn't those were all line all the lines that uh, alpha 60 had just about all of them all the things where he sounded weird that was the computer actually quoting poetry 
real life. Really? He sounded like he was belching. Hmm. Alpha 60, the the whole time, the computer, he sounded like he was talk belching. Evidently, uh, that was done by an actor who had his uh, larynx uh, damaged <laughs> uh, due to, I think, some illness, and he was using a voice box. That's how they got the voice of Alpha 60. Oh, my gosh. Well... Nowadays, we would just have a Stephen Hawking uh, computer, but back then, they had to be using a bit more analog. So. Yeah. So... You pretty much get my take on this entire film. Yes. With every with my nonsensical anger, <laughs> just free range anger everywhere, and that that pretty much sums up the film. I didn't get it. I <laughs> it made me angry that I couldn't understand what was going on, and um, I think it was pretty ineffectual because I will not remember. I have no refrigerator questions. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was very boring. I, I got through the first 10 minutes, turned it off. I kid you not, put in UHF, had a marvelous time. <laughs> <laughs> tried again later. Yeah. <laughs> Switched it for some music. Tried again a third time, which is why I was late coming to the show today. <laughs> it took me three tries to make it through this film. And that's what, man, I wish I could like take away something more, oh, Godard, but... Yeah, nothing. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Miss Natasha was quite pretty. Yes, yes, she was. And evidently, uh, Jean-Luc Godard's girlfriend at the time. Oh, so he was okay with her being abused. Awesome. Let's talk about the role of women in this movie. Um, yes. Underfoot? Hmm. Um, it... Inconsequential. Not really moving much of the plot around, I grant you that. Uh... It they is, were more there for, like, decorations, I think. So, sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't think Jean-Luc uh, is against sex. <laughs> he does make this um, very deep distinction between sensuality and love. Evidently, for him, love is emotional. Love is poetic. Love is um, a, the saving, driving force of humanity. But sensuality, on the other hand, is... As because it's employed by the computer, cold, impersonal, logical, dead inside. There's a lot of horophobia going on in this movie, I think. What phobia? Horophobia. Fear of sex workers. Oh, okay. Um, no, I didn't get that. Well, it's just that they're all, uh, all the women, just about all the women, like mm-hmm. most of the women, are employed as quote-unquote seductresses. So they're all tools of, of evil. Oh, I don't know. They, they, I don't know, to be calling them tools seems like a little bit of high praise here. They were just, like, there, doing their job, whatever, drugged up, doesn't matter. And then even the main actress, um, Natasha, she was just, you know, whatever, an object doing her job. And then there were a couple women in um, glass cases with underlighting so that they could be all naked and pretty. Like pieces of art, you walk by them, you shut the light off after you're done, like it's, eh. That there was that one scene where yeah the woman was just for no adequately explained reason just kneeling naked in a glass display case and just walk on by. I think that was the closest they had to art since you know emotions are illogical but you need them for art and poetry and music and literature so naked women was the closest thing they had to art and that was the futures version of a wall painting like a an art on the wall. <laughs> ah. Having a naked woman there, 
and she was probably doing her job. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, I, I really don't know what he was trying to get at with the whole love thing, because there, there was 100% no, absolutely, and I was looking for it. I was looking for a, an instance where love would be shown. I didn't see it. I didn't see anything selfless ever, ever. I didn't see any respect ever. I didn't see, um, like, the, these are all things that make up what love is, and I never saw any oh, of it. Actually, what's that? And once again, you fail to get the point of the movie. There was okay. a guy there, a guy who was rugged and individualistic. Yes. Therefore, he deserved, in fact, the universe pretty much guaranteed that he would be loved by women. If that didn't happen, there would be something fundamentally wrong with the universe. <laughs> that is the essence of love. That attractive women just sort of throw themselves at tactical speed at rugged, individualistic, maybe directors of low-budget French films. That's the first one that did, he slapped her. Yes, because you can't be too tender uh, to these women who are throwing themselves at tactical speeds at you. you got to be rough and individualistic and rugged and damn the machines, damn society. <laughs> about poetry at you. Ha 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 ha. I know. It was just like one of many examples of why I was pissed off at this film. Mm. So what the, I think the instead of figuring out the role of women would be in the film, I think the more interesting question would be what the crap was the director trying to say about love? That he deserved it. That <laughs> he deserved it by being a curmudgeon. I, <laughs> therefore, I deserve love. That was the central thesis of this film. That's really sad. I ain't saying it's a good thesis. I'm just saying. <laughs> I um that that might be right actually. That might be the central message of love. Um, he didn't seem to have a ton of feelings, which was ironic. You know, him being the cliche hard-boiled, you know, double agent, whatever. Um, he didn't seem to have too many feelings which is like the cornerstone of the society that he was going to overthrow. And he can't show feelings. That's he can't show feelings. Man cannot show feelings, except in the frequency and technique of lighting their cigarettes. This is how <laughs> they communicate emotion. Yeah. You can learn everything that was going on, the open, open nerve that was his soul by watching him light cigarettes. Because he does it quite a bit in a very, quite a few different ways. He was practiced, yes. <laughs> Boy. So, um, yeah, he, he killed a few guys. Um, he took a ton of pictures. I did um, find his, him taking pictures just presented him just a bit like a voyeur. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. He was, like, what could be possibly more intimate than watching a man commit suicide with a prostitute and taking pictures? <laughs> Like, the whole time. It was weird. It never said why he was taking pictures or if he had a purpose or anything, but, man, he took a lot of pictures. Um, according to one analysis of the film I read, him taking pictures was just sort of him symbolically claiming the past. Um, because they keep on saying there is no past. You can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. You can't live in the present. So uh, by taking pictures, he was claiming the past and just... Uh, keeping memory or something along those lines. 
Yes, the emperor had gorgeous clothes. Beautiful. <laughs> I saw I gold. Red everywhere. I saw sorbet colors. I saw <laughs> silk and velvet. <laughs> one, one positive. One positive. A astounding use of door in combat situations. <laughs> Just leading him through, going bow, 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 with the various doors <laughs> that the guys crash through, as if they all think they're made of paper when they're not. Yes. <laughs> There was uh, car windows and uh, futuristic-y payphone booths and, oh. I have to wonder if having a jukebox in a little side room of your apartment was supposed to be a futuristic thing or just a really mod thing they had in present-day hotels in 1965. Because it could go either way there. There was a million things like that. A million things where I genuinely couldn't tell if we were being tongue-in-cheek or if we were mentioning the future or if we were referencing the past. I could not tell. Like the vending machines and then like something popped out that said, thank you. What? I don't know. I didn't but... actually catch what they were doing. By that point, I, I had no idea. I didn't care. I, I was beyond caring at that particular point for that particular scene. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, there was a million things like that where it was like, what the heck? That was weird. Don't care. <laughs> over and over and over again. Oh, throughout the whole film. How long was this film? Uh, one hour, 39 minutes. Oh, man, it felt way longer than that. Mm. One hour and 39 minutes of me going, what the heck? <laughs> I don't know. Don't care. All of it. All of it. All of it. Oh, 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 wait. I figured it out. Sorry, it just came okay. to me. The role of love and the role of women. Women give love. Love is to be taken by the man. The mm. end. And when they don't give love, that indicates uh, that there's something terribly wrong with the world. Yes. Yes. Because at the end, like the, the very, very... Okay, spoil alert for any of you morons who are going to watch this <laughs> after uh, hearing this. You, you mean, you mean uh, valued listeners, I think. I mean valued listeners. <laughs> Trotter, seriously, I love you guys. I love you so much. Okay, so for any of you who are going to watch this film after hearing this, um, I'm about to have a spoil alert, so just, like, jump ahead, you know, push the forward 30 seconds thing a couple times. Very, very end, um, you know, this this woman, this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous woman who, um, like, this guy, I don't know, saved her life, so let's pretend that, that's him saying that he loves her. I don't know. Um, that he's gonna take her out to the outlands, and she has to form an original thought, right? For like the first time ever, and it's like, I, you, love, I love you. What was that? And of course, there's no response. I mean, that would have just that would have been him showing emotion. Can't do that. That would have been stupid. Oh my gosh. And then that was, so I think that was the role of women to give and for the men to take. My favorite part was him, like, when he's like, what, you don't want me to court you? I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> and then he goes through a door in the foyer, but instead of holding the door open for her, he, like, slams the door in her face, and then she has to open the door. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> like, 
I don't know, that little moment just summed up the entire movie for me. And it had nothing to do with highfalutin, high-minded French riddles that needed to be solved in poetry. It was douchebag. Yeah. So. Sad view of the future. It's funny, just like just yesterday I was having a con- a, one of those random conversations with someone about how I think the world is leaning towards a technocracy. But this was not what I meant at all. Well, that's the thing. He, the one thing Jean-Luc Godard did not do, which is a failing among science fiction writers, and um, unfortunately all too common, I think, among the French, the French New Wave, is he did not do enough backstory. You don't have to show all your backstory, but you got to do the backstory. You, you can maybe have, like, two sentences explaining what's going on, but you've got to write the five-page report about how everything got to the way it is so you know the sentences make sense. He didn't do that. He just presented an idiosyncratic idea of why things will probably be bad in the future. He didn't, he didn't really think, he, didn't quite, he wasn't logical in thinking it through, probably because he abhors logic, evidently. But that's, that's the problem. When you're going to do a dystopia you got to do the uh, world building. And he didn't do it, at least not to my satisfaction. Well, throughout the whole film, I was asking why. And then about halfway through it, they said, you know, nobody asks why here. And I was like, what? I I thought he was saying, Catalan, stop (laughs) asking why. And I I took it as offense. And I think he was just saying, audience, shut the hell up. Enjoy. Just, I'm good, okay? Just, I'm good. Stop asking questions. Well, then you should be making a science fiction film. <laughs> was was most of his stuff science fiction-y, do you know? No, no. I don't think it was. A lot of it was cinema verite. and I mean, a lot of new wave stuff is surreal, but it's not really science fiction. Hmm. Well, he tried. <laughs> no, well, Science fiction's a tool for writing about the present. That You write about the future, write about the present. And this was a guy who was afraid of the future at this point when he made this film. Okay. So many people who make science fiction are afraid of the future when they make it. That's why you have all those dystopians, all those horror stories, all those, oh my God, Frankenstein's monsters come to life and it's killing us all because we try to do things that man was not meant to know. <laughs> it's people being afraid of the future. And quite frankly, it's annoying and boring at this point. Annoying and boring. Yes. Watch Black Mirror. I I have tried watching Black Mirror. I do. I disagree with Black Mirror. Mirror. <laughs> I understand people like it. I understand that it's provocative. I understand that it causes people to think deeply. No, screw it. Fuck it. I like optimism. I <laughs> like utopias. I want to see more of them. I don't care for Black Mirror. I don't care for people telling me that the world's going to shit, I want you to tell me how it's not going to go to shit. Oh, so then, cute. screw off with your oh-so-clever British uh, miniseries. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> I forget where I was going with that, but I like, <laughs> I like your optimism. <laughs> that is refreshing. So in your sci-fi of the future, it would be, um, oh, I don't know, Love freely given and taken simultaneously, and birds chirp probably. Well, I mean, this is the problem that uh, Star Trek ran into, and that it's hard to do drama in a utopia. I get that. Right. Uh, 
But A, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And B, okay, A, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. B, if you read Utopia, Utopia sucked. The it Utopia, did. Utopia was, was a dystopia. That's the thing. The trope namer was not a good trope. It was not a utopia. Utopia was not a utopia. Utopia was a pretty damn creepy place to live if you actually read the book. <laughs> See, it did. It was very boring. See, you can have drama in a world that's better than this one. It's just, you can do it. Uh, it that's like thinking that you can't get rid of a king because everyone's going to kill themselves because they don't know what to do with their lives. No. People get by without kings. People get by without all sorts of things. You can get rid of oppression and not have people go completely uh, to shit. It does happen all the time. So, hmm. sure. So, <laughs> I didn't really have yeah. a rant prepared, so I'm just going to use a lot of grunting for this one. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we are living in the present. We are, um, what else were they about in the film? I don't know, being extemporaneous with our <laughs> whatever point we're trying to make at the moment. Oh, man. Dude, this this film, this film was not good. Not good. The Emperor so, had on. <laughs> so let's do some ratings. Yes. How many dick cancer guns should we give this movie? And remember, this is how much we should get the movie itself, not how much we should give the director. Um, The movie gets, like... One, I don't know. They tried. They did try. Tried. They really tried. Um, shoestring budget. Respect that. Uh, some of the shots were good. Like, you know, the lights making the horizontal lines vertical. And it was artful, I guess. And, uh, one. Just one. 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 Yeah. Dick gun. I, I can't go to two on this one. It, no. Entertainment is a real thing and it's a chemical thing and i was just not entertained through this movie absolutely not so one cancer gun one dick cancer gun for alphaville several yep. dozen fire at high speed once again at jean-luc godard for making this pile of <laughs> yep <laughs> i like that so this has been Simag pig seat with one of our shortest episodes yes <laughs> <laughs> you can find us uh, at our website, johnnylemuria.com. You can find us on Facebook at Simag Pig's Feet. You can find us on Twitter at Johnny Lemuria and at Logic. And you can find us on Tumblr, Simag Pig's Feet, on Pinterest, Simag Pig's Feet. Basically, just throw it into the howling void that is social media and something will pop up. <laughs> so until next time, I've been John Robinson. And I'm Catalan Justice. Thank Stay weird, but perhaps not that French people.